eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Did you know that it's Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, like Cardon, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Meave. Whether you're looking for a good Korean skincare or affordable and trendy jewelry, they've got you covered. Plus, you can help to support college access and student success when you donate online or round up in-store to APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. Hey, y'all, and welcome to Trials to Triumphs. I'm Ashley Blaine Featherson Jenkins, but you can call me ABFJ. This week, writer, author, professor, and brilliant public speaker, Lovey Ajaye Jones, talks to me about embracing fear and a word that I've basically removed from my vocabulary, failure. Let's face it, no one likes to fail. Even saying the word just makes me feel, ugh, I don't, I don't know, I don't like it. But The reality is it takes a lot of steps, a lot of vulnerability, a lot of trials to follow your life's truest destiny. Facing your fear of failing is the only way to grow, and Lovey knows all about how to reframe a loss into a win. There are no real failures unless you didn't learn nothing. Yes. Yeah. Like, there are no real failures if you actually learned a lesson, if it allowed you to grow, if it, you know, created a better opportunity, if it allowed you to think different. I think when you fall flat on your face and you can then grow from it, it wasn't a failure because something came from it. And the best thing about failing is there's so much camaraderie in it. We've all been there. I rely on my friends and family, AKA my destiny advocates, to remind me of my power and to help me turn those failures into opportunities and growth, something Lovey and I absolutely get into. And in our Sankofa moment, Lovey shares her favorite troublemaker from history. You know, when she died, it was like my first time writing in like 10 months. I was like, man, those of us who are still here, we gotta use our art and give it away in the way she did. I always think about who she represented in this world and how her words continue to give us permission to be the dope Black people we are. Lovey! (laughs) Hey, boo. Lovey, I... (laughs) Okay, first of all, so many things to say. First of all, I'm so excited that you are here. I remember the first time I was on your podcast. I remember... Right? I... Wow. I remember exactly where I was. It was early in the morning, and I had to take the call in my car, which was at my old apartment at the time, because I didn't have any, like, just personal—I didn't have an office. I didn't have anywhere I could just 
have peace and quiet. I had to sit in my car and do that podcast interview. And now here we are. You have a kajillion books and you're changing the world. I now have a podcast. <laughs> you still have your amazing podcast. You are truly just someone loving who I, I genuinely respect and admire. And I'm so grateful that you're in my life. But I also just am so taken with all that you've given to us. And when I say us, I mean Black folks. I mean the world. I mean women. I mean just people of color. I, I Just anybody who is on planet Earth, you've given us something. And I'm so grateful for you to give us even more here on the podcast. <laughs> that is such an affirmation. That's such an amazing affirmation. Mm, and I receive yeah, it. Yeah, we have to affirm one another. It's so it. important. Yes. So you've challenged us to all write our own oriki. So I want you to tell us what is an oriki and what is yours? So an oriki is a hype mantra. So in Yoruba land, I'm Yoruba uh, by way of Nigeria, we have this tradition where when you are born and as your life continues, you get an oriki. It's this thing that exists to praise you, to bless your destiny, to remind you of who you are, whose you are. And um, it's really powerful. They sing it at, they sing it or say it at celebrations, birthdays, weddings. Sometimes your grandma will see you and just start saying it and you just be hyped up for no mm. reason. So I think about, you know, um, the Orika is actually, that type of a thing is actually through the diaspora. Think about how in rap, you know, Jay-Z calls himself Hove. That's no Riki of the way. You know, in Christianity, when we say God is the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Alpha and the Omega, that's no mm. Riki. And, you know, if you watch Game of Thrones. I do. And we remember whenever you see Daenerys come on and they would always introduce her mother of dragons, breaker of chains, queen of the Andals. My good. Like, you would be so hyped. Just listen to them be like, dang, can I get an intro mm. like that? So that's really what Noriki is. It's a hype mantra. And I think we should all have one. Wow. So, wow. Uh, yeah. Lovey, you've been here for 23 seconds and you're already sending me. I, I can't. I can't. I just, I cannot. So what's yours? Listen. What's yours? Okay. So I wrote mine. <laughs> so mine is, and you, and you, you do it in the, the Game of Thrones form. So it's like, I'm Lovey of House of Jai Jones, first of her name. Bestseller of books, Dame of Diction, lover of Nigerian uh, food, Chi Town creator, um, side eye sorceress <laughs> is another piece of that. <laughs> so it's basically like one of the best things about yourself. Hype it up, and I actually make it a habit of writing Orikis for Black women, especially. Oh. so I've written a whole bunch for a bunch of different black women and like whenever they do something epic i'm usually stirred and compelled to write one so like i wrote one for justice katanji brown jackson mm. when she was confirmed you know katanji of house brown jackson first of her name majestic melanated magistrate brilliant barista of the bench great guardian of the garble the lock rock and liege of law Noble Nubian negotiator, the capable countess of courts, oh advocate of effect and action, quintessential qualified queen, presiding priestess of the poise platform. And um, I just need us to feel good about who we are. That's what it really is. That's what it's there for. 
Wow, wow, wow. But th- this is the best part about this, Lovey, is that I'm coming to know about this at 34, but this mm-hmm. has been a part of you your entire yeah. life. How in of your mother and of your mother's mother. Like, that is so amazing. And now you're blessing us with it. Like, that is what it's all about. Wow, 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 wow. So tell me, since since it's something that you want us all to have, and you want us all to feel good about ourselves and be able to hype ourselves up, what do you feel like it's done for you? How do you, how do you draw on it? When do you pull on mm-hmm. it? When do you know when to call on it for yourself? Yeah, I think it's really significant for the moments when the world tells you you're not enough mm. or tries to abuse you for being who you are or you have a hard day where somebody tries to come for you in a way that didn't make no sense. <laughs> like, it's a way to bring you back to self. It's a way to center and ground yourself and remind you that in the midst of the chaos that might be thrown your way in the midst of the things people might say about you, you are still this amazing child of God. And it's a way for you to continue to be reminded about your greatness and never forget it. Even mm. when people try to make you forget it. We have to circle on back to that. We have to circle back to that one because that that's really good. But I want to start, um, Lovey, with what did Nigeria give you? Mm. I think Nigeria gave me the solid feet on the ground, you know, spending my first nine years in Nigeria where I was never, like, my name wasn't different. I sounded like everybody else. Everybody was Black, you know. Mm. It gave me this very strong sense of self and anchoring. Um, My family, the way I even grew up, like, my family was very, it's like a very collective family. And actually, Nigeria in general is a collectivist uh, society where everyone's really supposed to be responsible for everybody else. You know, so like if somebody visits your house, which I actually wrote about this in my first book, how our whole idea is that if you have a guest, your job is to make your guest feel welcome above and beyond. So like I remember us having guests, like people come to visit my grandmother, for example, and somebody might be like, oh my God, I love that shirt you have on. My grandmother would go in her room and change and hand Mm -hmm. them the shirt, you know? Like somebody came to my house and they brought a kid who was my age. I was probably around four or five. And I had this doll that I loved. And this kid went to play with my doll. And I was like, no, it's mine. (laughs) No, don't touch it. Well, when they were leaving, my mom gave my doll to the girl. Mm. And was like, you have enough toys. You're okay. They don't have as much as you. And I think it really gave me this sense of responsibility for everybody else. Like, me understanding that my life does not just belong to me. My actions are not just about me. My actions are tethered to the people I come from. My name are tethered to the people I call friends and family. That part of me still continues. You know, that part of me, knowing that I walk into every room, standing on the shoulders of giants and also representing and walking in with an army, an invisible army, is something that I think Nigeria gave me that I still walk with now. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I started all this just saying how much you've given us. It's true. Like, I I feel like you've given me so much. And it wasn't just handing me a doll or giving me a shirt. 
it was wisdom. It's been wisdom and guidance and affirmations and uh, just sisterly love. And that's really, 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 really important, Lovey. And I, and I love that you come from a people, from a family who take that very seriously. That's, that's a beautiful quality to possess, truly. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Meet the next generation of podcast stars with SiriusXM's Listen Next program, presented by State Farm. As part of their mission to help voices be heard, State Farm teamed up with SiriusXM to uplift diverse and emerging creators. Tune in to Stars and Stars with Isa as host Isa Nakazawa dives into birth charts of her celeb guests. This is just the start of a new wave of podcasting. Visit statefarm.com to find out how we can help prepare for your future. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. What has Chicago given you? Oh, I love me some Chicago. Me too. <laughs> Chicago's home has been home. People always go like used to People don't realize I live in Chicago still. Funny enough. Really? Everyone thinks I live in like New York or LA and I'm like, "No, I live in Chicago. Chicago's home." I think Chicago also gives me a different type of grounding. Like um, I love the city. I love the culture, the art, the music, the people. I love, I mean, nobody loves the weather, but summertime shy is a whole vibe. So <laughs> it I love is. summertime shy. Right? Is. Summertime shy is a whole vibe. Chicago's giving me some extra swag on top of my Nigerian swag. I, I call myself a Shigerian, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Shigerian all day. All parts, all parts of all of that goes in there. Like I've spent most of my life here. This is home for me, even more than Nigeria is, funny enough. Like, um, so I think Chicago gives me swag. Chicago gives me culture. It gives me music. It gives me some of my best friends. Chicago is one of my, they, I always talk about Chicago. It's one of my favorite cities in the country. And it's very, there's a lot of culture there that I think people just aren't really aware of. So Let's get into this. So you're you are an author and you do a myriad of other things, but you're an author and you are a very good one. You have, you know, professional troublemaker and you have rising troublemaker. But so being an author to me is a very it's vulnerable. It's one of the most vulnerable things you can do. I, I was sitting here trying to think of the word, but it's extremely vulnerable. And I know that you're someone who, you talk about how at times you struggled with confidence. And so I want to know, how did you get to the place where you were able to be a New York Times bestselling author, put all that you have on the page for the masses? How, what got you there? So my confidence struggle was around being clear about my gift as a writer, mm. you know, not understanding that it actually was a gift. I thought everybody could write. I was just like, yeah, I just think I do. And um, so for years, I didn't call myself a writer because I was like, that just feels like such a big title that does not feel like I could wear. Like, I was like, that's a title for like Toni Morrison and, you know, 
Terry McMillan and Maya Angelou, those are writers. So to call myself the same thing felt so the imposter syndrome of it all. Mm -hmm. But I had to realize that the example that I did not see, I was supposed to become that example for myself and other people, you know, in terms of the writer who made her living, um, talking about the world that she saw it, um, putting her random made up words in there, just without any real strategy. So, yeah, it took me years to finally call myself a writer, but I finally ran out of excuses when mm. I found myself in room with like in, in rooms with like journalists and actual writers and I was like, yeah, there's really no reason for me not to be calling myself that cuz my words got me here. And now to be like a three-time New York Times best-selling author is the most surreal thing because I just remember that was just 10 years ago when I was afraid of this title, you know, when I didn't realize that God was showing me that my purpose and my, my purpose was to like really use my words to move the world. So it's wild. Words are so powerful. You know, I, I mean, tackling your fears, oftentimes your dreams are on the other side of that. So you have to tackle it. Yes. You know, like you wouldn't be able to touch the world as much as you have if you weren't unafraid. You had to, you had to decide right. one day, you know what? I've got to push through this fear. What did pushing through fear feel like? Was it ever debilitating? Was it ever thrilling? Like, what, what, is it, what did it feel like for you? I think fear is one of those things that we, like, weaponize, right? We create shame around it because we feel like if we're afraid, somehow we're being weak. But I'm like, fear is such a great point that's just as good as, like, joy and sadness and and love. I think fear though, this shame that we attach to it is the problem. So for me, my fear was around like, how am I going to make money as a writer? Because getting a book deal was not <sighs> tangible for me. It wasn't something that I could be like, yeah, I'll just do this and I can do this and then this thing will happen. I was like, how do I make a living as a writer? I'm not a journalist, so I can't write for the New York Times like that. I'm not a, you know, I, I don't write novels. I don't. So for me, the fear was around like, what does this actually look like? And can I actually make money and be an, a proper adult who's trying to pursue this dream? And um, I ultimately, it's not like I stopped being afraid. I remember the first time I probably called myself a writer. I was being asked to do press. And they said, so what, what title do we put at the bottom? And I was like, usually I, I would have said blogger, mm. digital strategist. Yeah, those two is what I said. But then that day I was like, writer. Mm. And it was like so foreign, but nobody questioned it. Yeah. Right? Nobody questioned it. It felt okay. Mm. And then I realized you've been writing for such a long time. You've been using your words for this good for such a long time. And why would you not? So the idea of the fear of it is understand that the things that you are afraid of, the things that feel bigger than us, they won't stop feeling big necessarily. And we won't stop being afraid. But what we have to do is go, I'm afraid, but I'm still do the thing. Yeah. I'm still do the thing. It's fine. I'm still going to move forward and charge forward regardless. Well, I love that because I think the truth is you are who you say you are. Yeah. You have to say it. You have to proclaim it. You have to speak it over your life. I, you know, yeah. I, early on in, in my days in LA, 
Um, and I don't remember who told me to stop doing this, but ever since then, I've been gone on to tell people to stop doing this, but I would call myself an aspiring actress. And even in retrospect, mm. I don't really know why, because by the time I moved to L.A., I'd been acting for many, many, many years and making money doing it. I'd started doing that when I was 14. Mm-hmm. So I don't really know why I was saying, maybe because it was somewhat of a new venture, maybe because I was like really thrusting myself into the film and television scene in Los Angeles. But I remember somebody who at the time was like an elder to me said, are you an actress or are you aspiring to be an actress? Mm. And I, it made me mm. think, I just was conditioned to think I have to say, because I'm not on a TV show right now, I have to be aspiring. Yeah. I was all, I've been acting since yeah. I was a little girl, you know? So ever since then, whenever I hear an actor or really an aspire, anybody who says they're aspiring to be something, I always tell them to take it out. Say who you are. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It's like are you doing the thing? So we always feel like we have to earn the title. So you were thinking you had to be on a show to be an actress. I was thinking I had to have written a book to be a writer. Somebody else is like, I have to have shot a magazine cover to be a photographer. We constantly think we have to create it. We have to have a particular credential to be able to say we are something. When If we're doing it every day, if we're doing it as a way of, like with regularity, we should call ourselves that thing. If you're using your words and you're putting words on paper or a computer screen and you are putting it out, you are a writer. If you're taking photos of people and you're doing this thing, you're following the camera everywhere, you're a photographer. If you are acting, doesn't matter mm-hmm. what stage, whether grand or not, you're an actress. 1,000%. I want to talk about failure. And I didn't, you know, it's, I, I wanted to talk to you specifically about this. And I have been struggling with saying the word failure. And I'm mm. realizing that in some ways, I think I've removed it from my vocabulary. Something about the word failure, mm. something about the word fail, I'm realizing is like, I have a, I have a thing with. But I think it's a good thing. I think the reason why I ha- I'm having a hard time calling it failure is because I have gotten to a point in my life where I don't want to consider anything a failure. Mm. Everything I'm trying to find a win in. And maybe, maybe the truth is that I'm just deciding that when things don't go as planned or when it seems like a fail, I've just decided to call it a W and it's just a win. So I know you talk a lot about failure and what that means and like to be okay with it. But when was the time that failure almost was too much for you in your in your brain? Yeah, you know, I think about failure. There are no real failures unless you didn't learn nothing. Yes. Yeah. Right? Like there are no real failures if you actually learned a lesson, if it allowed you to grow, if it, you know, created a better opportunity, if it allowed you to think different. I think when you fall flat on your face and you can then grow from it, it wasn't a failure because something came from it. For me, like, I mean, I've had major failures. Like what I wrote about was about how when I trended on Twitter and it was so hard because to have all these arrows pointing at me, to have what I felt was humiliation, to have me thrown off my square, it's tough to recover from. Here's the thing about failure too. In the middle of it, it sucks. Like, no, it's not fun. When you fall flat on your face, when you make a mistake, or when something doesn't go well, it's not fun. 
But then usually on the other side of it, if you allow it to do what it was supposed to do, which is to kind of allow you to grow and be better, should be better for you. A better version of you, a smarter version of you, a wiser version of you, a more clever version, something. And when that happens, I don't consider it a failure. Mm. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hmm. Yeah. It's all about what did you get from it? How did you get onto the other side? How did you not allow yourself to be completely overtaken with whatever these feelings surrounding said failure are? You know what I mean? Like it's, it's okay. Like for me, I just always want to keep moving. I don't want anything to, I don't want to feel like I'm in quicksand. That is like my biggest fear. Mm. I'm just sinking and there's just nothing, nothing and nobody can get me out. And I know a lot of people, a lot of people deal with that. And I think a lot of, a lot of it just goes back to self-image, self-esteem, confidence. You know what I mean? Really being able to speak life over yourself at a time when everyone might be speaking, quote unquote, death over you. Like, and I don't mean death in the actual literal sense. I mean, death over, like just not good vibes, you know, canceling you, saying that you ain't what you know, who you know yourself to be. All of those things. It's so important to be able to pull on who you know yourself to be and hold on so tightly to that. But I think something that helps that is the people that you're around. So, yeah, I want you to talk to me about your tribe. Like, I call them, uh, you know, my destiny advocates, people who can remind me of my destiny um, and my purpose at times when I just might not have the strength to do it for myself. I know you have your West African Voltron. Like, you, you guys are together, and I know hold each other down and lift each other up. But can you give me an example of a time when it was only your tribe that got you through. Man. I mean, I think the importance of surrounding us with people who can speak life into us, who can remind us of our power, cannot be underestimated. Because, yes, in those moments of major fail, the people who remind you of who you are and bring you back to yourself are often people who are closest to you. I mean, besides when you reread your weekend, you go, all right, all right, I'm going to try to remember this part of how dope I am. (laughs) But like my tribe is so important to me. I also call them like my life sport of directors, my village, Mm -hmm. my squad, gang, gang. Um, Yeah. That whole idea of who we surround ourselves with being like game changers for us. I always tell people I am who I am and where I am because of the people who have said my name in rooms I'm not in, who... Mm. Because of the group chats that hype me up and and where I can go for advice, because of the people who I can be myself with fully and and without without shame, and having that is like it's having a soft place to land. It's knowing that there actually are no real failures because they got you mm. right. They won't ever let you fall on concrete. So they, I think, I always say like I am a product of villages that are my soft place to land, and building 
multiple squads over the years. Like, you know, I have different groups of friends um, from different parts of my life, none more important than the other, but all significant in how they show up for me and how I'm showing up for them. Having an amazing squad of people, honestly, is is like the best cheat code of life. Truly. Oh, you know, you can yes. work as hard as Yes. It's the best cheat code. You can work as hard as you want to work, but if you're not surrounded by the people who are letting you know about opportunities that are not published and who will give you the the lowdown and who will give you the real talk, who will not just yes you to death, that is life's cheat code. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Do you have a time recently or just a time that sticks out in your mind when truly your tribe, your village, your gang, your squad helped you gain a perspective that you would not have been able to gain if it weren't for them or someone? Um, probably. I mean, I go to them for advice all the time. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, if I'm constantly, if I'm like, I don't know about this, and I go to them, they go, you tripping? I'm going to go sit down somewhere. Mm-hmm. But if they're like, no, you're right, they, they infuse power in mm-hmm. me. You know, I even talk about how, like, my TED Talk that now has all these views how I almost didn't do it. I literally was about to turn it down for the third time. And one of my friends, Unique Jones Gibson, I called her and I was like, yo, they want me to do this thing. And I, it's in like two weeks. And my perspective then was everybody else has already been doing this for a long time. Everybody's had their talk set for four months. They have a coach because Ted don't play about the prep. And I remember being like, but if they want me to do this and I only have two weeks notice, I'm not prepared. And when I called Unique and she said, you've been on the stage every other day. You've been doing this for six years. She was like, that's been your practice. And everybody ain't you. Everybody else might have needed four months, but you Mm. don't. Mm. And it was like instant perspective of like, whoa. And and she she basically loaned me the power I didn't have in that moment for myself. And it changed my life. That moment changed my life. I was still scared as I was doing it. But it just didn't show, and I just pushed through. And honestly, that talk has changed my life. Like, the I've had, I've had six hundred speaking engagement inquiries since June twenty twenty. I'm sorry, six hundred. I don't. I, did Did you just say six hundred? Six hundred. I've had six hundred speaking inquiries since June two thousand and twenty. When I started tracking the number, because I have a folder in my inbox now that all speaking inquiries go. 558 since June 2020. And it's because people see this talk still, this talk that I gave almost five years ago. And they go, oh my God, we want you to come speak here. It changed my life. So my friend loaning me power and making me say yes changed my life. This is the thing, because I am just blown away. I'm truly blown away, but this is the thing. All we have to do is answer the call. That's all we have to do. It's so easy. And in the event, like in your situation, where we don't want to pick up or we keep declining the call, sending to voicemail, phone a friend, a trusted friend, a a, a friend Mm -hmm. that knows you and loves you and wants the best for you just like they do for themselves and listen to what Mm -hmm. they say. Because... I just am so taken by how that one phone call changed mm-hmm. everything for you. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. wow. Wow, 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 wow. I want to know, 
What would you say has been, other than doing your TED Talk, because we know that was what I'm about to say, but what would you say has been one of the best decisions you've ever made in your life and why? Mm, One of the best decisions I've ever made is to to not make my decisions with fear. Mm. That actually singularly the best decision that I have made in the last few years is to be clear when I start being afraid because something feels too big and not letting it make me say no. So that TED Talk one really, like, like it really jammed in that idea. Because even in the TED Talks, I talked about how when I turned 30, I had this year of doing the things that scared me. And I didn't realize I needed to, be, to get re-reminded. And my journey to that TED Talk in itself was another moment of having to say yes. So now I instantly go, okay, if I'm, if something's presented to me and I'm like, oh God, it feels too big. Where before I might've said a quick no. Now I pause and go, okay, I feel that again. I see this thing is coming again. I should move forward anyway. And I think it's changed my life and how I approach business, how I approach personal situations, you know, whether it's me being afraid to have a tough conversation with a friend where I'm like, ah, oh, I don't want to because I don't want to. I go, mm. but what's the what's the win here? Can you get to the win without doing this? Okay, then you got to do it. And I think singularly that has changed how I move. Now I take big risks. Like me becoming a professor at University of Chicago Booth, for example, happened because I was like, oh, it's probably not going to be able to happen for like another 15 years because, you know, you got to get certain credentials. It took mm. me being like, I know this sounds crazy, but I'm just going to mention it to a friend. And I mentioned it to that friend. That friend goes, oh, let me make a phone call. Another friend coming in, in the clutch. Everybody, hope you're listening. <laughs> Look at this. Wow. I'm trying to call you. And, and I think one of those things is also, the other part is not being afraid to share my dreams with my friends and people who are, are around me. We hoard our dreams so often because we think somehow people know it's going to jinx it. When it's actually the opposite. Nobody has the power to jinx what's yours. No one human being has the power to stop you from reaching your greatness. Like you're giving them way too much credit. How I found is the more I actually share my dreams, the more helpers I get, the more people who go, oh, I know how to help you make that happen. Like every single time I've told somebody randomly, like, you know, I just randomly just want to have this one dream. They go, oh, here's what you should do. And I'd be like, you had the keys the whole time. But if I had not mentioned that I needed the keys to the door to be open, why would they give me the key? So we spent a lot of time hoarding, hoarding this to ourselves instead of just telling people. That's, so I'm always telling my mentees, tell me what you need. It don't matter what random dream it is, random connection. I might know somebody that can enable this. So you don't have to go on the struggle bus journey. Like, you don't. None of it has to be struggle. So that's why I'm always like, I am here because of the people who've spoken my name up in rooms and given me the keys to doors I didn't even realize existed. Lovey, I just, this is, whoo, this is, I, 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 I'm at a loss for words. That's, that's what I know. That is, no one person has that power. I think knowing that and allowing that to really sink in can help remove that fear. Because the truth mm-hmm. is the fear is of outside influence. And it's fear yes. of not fully believing what you know to be true about yourself and your plans for your life. If you remove mm. that, truly, we are unstoppable. 
and we are professional troublemakers. Because what that means is we are disrupting anything that is not in alignment with where we're going. We have to disrupt it. It must be disrupted Mm -hmm. if it's in the path. Lovey, what would you say has been your takeaway from our conversation today? Matt, honestly, it's reaffirmed to me just like how blessed I am Mm. that in my life are people who deem me worthy enough to vouch for me. You know, there's, there's power in somebody else loaning you their power because it means they trust you. So I'm always blown away by just like, yeah, like how, how many countless stories I have about the times when people have, have vouched for me and, and like put their themselves on the line because they trust me. And I'm always encouraged by that. And like, even you asking me to come on this podcast, you know, you trusting me with this platform of yours, you saying, you know, I want to hear her voice. I don't take any of it for granted. And I think that's what this conversation for me has doubly affirmed. Mm, I love that. Yeah, there's no way I would have a podcast and you're not on it. That's just insane. That's <laughs> an alternate universe. Um, I think that's beautiful, lovey. I, w- I would say my takeaway is that as much as I feel like I lean on my tribe to lean in even deeper, Mm. you know, ask for help more. I'm realizing I'm not, I'm in a season of my life. I'm not really asking for help and I need help. Mm. I need help. I need help. I need guidance. I need support. Offer. Let me offer you something that actually would be helpful, Please. I think. And it's something that I shared six months ago. And every time I share it, people go, oh my gosh, like, thank you. And that's because I started doing it. It's a prayer that I do because there are times when it's hard for us to ask for help. Sometimes I do still suck at asking for help even when I need it. So it's a constant practice. I say this prayer call where it's just... If it's a new season, I'm walking to a new room, or I just feel myself not asking for the help I need, I pray, let my helpers find me. Mm. Let my helpers find me, which ultimately is saying that in spite of whatever I might be doing or not doing, in spite of whether I'm asking, let the people who have something for me, who are a vessel to my blessings, let them find me. That way... Whether or not I'm asking, it's still finding wow. me. So let my helpers find me. And then the the companion prayer is like, let me be able to receive their help. Because there are mm. times where your helpers might find you, but you might not receive their help because you're thinking, no, I got to do it myself or no, I got to do it different. Let me be able to receive what they have for me, this blessing, as opposed to doing whatever we do. I got it. No, I got it. I'll do it myself. Nope. Let my helpers find me and let me be able to receive their help. Wow. That truly, Lovey, that's a gift. Thank you for that. And I will 1,000% be using that. Ooh, Lovey, you took us to church per usual. I mean, that's literally what you do. Um, but I just want to say that I love you. I thank you. I honor you. And, and truly, Lovey, I'm proud of you. I'm very, mm. very, very I'm immensely proud of you. And like I said at the top, grateful for all that you've given me and us. And I'm just so grateful because that's the thing about life. 
what you've given is long-lasting. It's here forever. And Mm. my children and their children and their children and their children will be able to use and pull from what you so graciously have given all of us. So just know I'm rooting for you always. You are amazing and same. Like you are such a beacon for me. And I'm like, you being this beautiful, dark-skinned black woman who is soaring in this world and just your heart, you already know. Like I, <laughs> you, you, your your existence is is affirming somebody else's. Mm-hmm. And I know, you know, the industry can sometimes be tough. Yeah. So I just hope you always maintain your grounding and always know that, you know, you showing up. Is, is showing us what's possible. So I really love you. I appreciate you. And I'm excited for Trials to Triumphs. Like, this is so dope. It's, I'm so glad you have it. I was like, absolutely, yes. <laughs> Please count me in. Thank you, lovey. Thank you. the credits, Lovey tells us the historical legend that inspires her to be a fearless troublemaker. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast is produced by LWC Studios for OWN. The show's executive producer is Juleka Lentigua, mixed by Cedric Wilson and Kojin Tashiro. Managing producers are Camille Stennis and Paulina Velasco. Assistant producers are Michelle Baker and Shanice Tyndall. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, and we hope you do, please make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts to ensure you hear the next one. So, Lovey, who was your favorite troublemaker from history and why? Ooh, that's a tough one. But I always talk about Toni Morrison for me because Toni Morrison wrote without thinking about anybody but Black people. Toni Morrison put words on paper to give us permission to be our full selves. And just how her words have stayed with me, she's convicted me as a writer. You know, when she died, it was like my first time writing in like 10 months. I was like, man, those of us who are still here, we gotta use our art and give it away in the way she did. You know, she talks about how in crises, artists do their best work. And I think, I always think about who she represented in this world and how her words continue to give us permission to be the dope black people that we are, to, without the white gaze. So for me, that's the type of trouble that's multi-generational. So that's, that's who I'll be. That's a good one. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Meet the next generation of podcast stars with Sirius XM's Listen Next program, presented by State Farm. As part of their mission to help voices be heard, State Farm teamed up with Sirius XM to uplift diverse and emerging creators. Tune in to Stars and Stars with Isa as host Isa Nakazawa dives into birth charts of her celeb guests. 
This is just the start of a new wave of podcasting. Visit statefarm.com to find out how we can help prepare for your future. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.